Right to be read podcast, episode number thirty-eight. Interview with Philip Norvalja Carroll. You are listening to the Right to Be Read podcast, and this is your host, Ani Alexander. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Right to Be Read podcast, the podcast that inspires and encourages writers. I'm your host, Danny Alexander, and today I have another listener's interview. If you would like to be interviewed for the show, just uh, send me an email at Ani at AniAlexander.com. Ani spelled A-N-I, Ani at AniAlexander.com. And explain me why do you think that your story is worth sharing with the listeners? I will get back to you very soon and uh, we'll figure something out together. Today I'm interviewing Philip Norval Joe Carroll, who uh, just a few days ago launched his very first book, Philip is an army-trained certified orthodist living in the Central Valley of California. He is a husband of many years, a father of three, and grandfather of three. He enjoys spending time with his family, trips to the mountains, and playing the piano. He has been a storyteller all of his life and has been honing his writing skills for the last six years. He has just finished his first book through Amazon KDP and CreateSpace called Flypaper Boy, Coming of Age, and previously published to books in serialized audio at podiobooks.com. He has had also several short stories published in anthologies and emacs. So let's see what journey did he go through and how did he end up with finally having his book out and being able to share it with the world. Well, hello, Philip. I'm really happy to have you on my show. Welcome to The Right to be Read. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, I'm, I'm really, I mean, I really enjoy this listeners interviews part because, uh, first of all, I get the proof that people are listening to this show, yeah, exactly. <laughs> which not always is obvious. <laughs> and second, I, you know, I, I really love uh, hearing about the success uh, they are having. So Perfect. just a few weeks ago, yeah, a couple of weeks ago. It was one week ago. One, One week, week ago. ago. Okay, yes. just just a week ago, your first Kindle book and, and the paperback as well came out. And I would like to go back and start from the very beginning. So you can maybe just tell us about the background and how did you start writing in general? Okay. Yeah, it, probably about six and a half years ago, I found that I could listen to something on my iPod called a podcast. And, you know, I started investigating and searching around to find something interesting to listen to. And I stumbled upon a couple that just, you know, pointed me in, in the direction of writing. Um, one was finding patio books that were podcast novels in, in serialized form. Um, Nathan Lowell and his Quarter Share series. Mm-hmm. And, um, Scott Sigler and, and um, P.G. Holyfield with his... Uh, I forgot the name, naturally. But, um, you know, I listened to these guys reading their own stories, podcasting their own stories, and I thought, you know, that sounds like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But I didn't go very far with it from there, but I did get into uh, uh, Mer Lafferty's uh, You Should Be Writing podcast, and she mentioned one time about the 100-word weekly challenge to where there's a um, Lawrence Simon at one a day until the day I die.com has a, does 
a hundred word story every day. And he has a weekly challenge once a week, of course, with a prompt. And we'd write our our story with exactly a hundred words and record it and send it to him, you know, before on Saturday night. And he'd post them all up on Sunday morning and we'd all listen to everybody else's hundred word stories. So I was enjoying that, you know, it was a new thing for me and I was using my, you know, gaming headset and it sounded real cruddy and, but it was fun just like everyone else. And, uh, about six weeks into it, that was in uh, September. And then, um, I hear about this NaNoWriMo thing, you know, and mm-hmm. people are NaNoWriMo and I thought, no, there's no way I could do NaNoWriMo. I mean, I, I'm just doing hundred word stories. And, uh, on the 10th of October, I thought, you know, I'm going to give it a try. So I signed up on the 10th of October and wrote my first 50,000 words and uh, it's absolute garbage, but uh, it had a theme and a, a plot and I called myself a nanorimist, you know. Mm-hmm. After that, uh, there was another guy on the 100 Word Challenge called, named Jeffrey Height and he had Great Heights podcast and he'd give us a prompt and we could write up to, you know, 3,000, 4,000 words for a prompt and record it and I did probably 50 of those Mm-hmm. Over, the next, over the next couple of years, and I've still I've I haven't missed a week of the hundred word weekly challenge. I mean, I'm at like three hundred and something in a row of sending those in. But um, and that just started me. You know, I I found that I've always been a storyteller from the time I was a kid. You know, my twin brother and I used to sit around and we'd tell each other stories. We'd make up stories and we'd have our different characters and we'd do their voices and carry them through dialogues. <laughs> and and so it was just something that I'd I'd always done and never really realized that I could follow through and, and, you know, I'd tried a couple of times, but once I listened to this Merle Lafferty said, you know, you should be writing, you can do it. I thought, you know, I'll give it a try. And after NaNoWriMo, I thought I can do it. You know, I pumped out 50,000 words in 20 days. I thought, you know, let's give it a shot. And building off of the hundred or off of Great Heights podcast, you know, I had 50 or 60 short stories that I wrote. And from that, I developed a, a my own Patio book called uh, The Price of Friendship that I published on patiobooks.com probably three or four years ago, you know, and it's still there. And I, I actually got a response from the first person ever saying that, hey, I, I listened to your story and I really liked it. Are you planning on doing more? And I thought, you know, <laughs> why didn't you say that you know, a month ago? And I'd be working on it now. But um, so that was rewarding for the first time. But then um, I have a follow up novella for Price of Friendship. But that just kind of got me started. And you know, year after year, I've done NaNoWriMo every year. And mm-hmm. so that's six years in a row. And I've got six manuscripts from that. And I've written a couple of novels in between. So I've probably written about nine novel length stories. And uh, just finally decided going to Worldcon in Reno, they mentioned vampires. And I thought, you know, I'm going to write my own vampire story the way I want to write a vampire story. And that's when I really decided, okay, I've, I've come to the point where I can write a story that's that's reasonably written and I can probably do something with it. I'd taken, well, Jeremy Shipp had an online uh, writing course that I took from him. And I've taken a few other things from other people, but nothing big. I'm taking one from uh, Dave Dave Farlin now, David Farlin, mm-hmm. the writing mastery and um, just trying to hone down my skills. And I figured after, you know, five years of, of practice, I, I should probably start putting something out. Now I've, I have three lined up, the one that I just published and then two more to come out, which are not related to each other, but they're all in the same vein. Mm-hmm. What what kind of genre is that? I'm typically doing uh, young adult. Mm-hmm. And and I found, not because I, I set out to say, I just like young adult stories, you know. I just found that as I wrote these 
prompt-based stories, you know, at great heights, I often use teenage characters. Mm-hmm. And and I ask myself, you know, why do you do that? And well, I think it's because the teenage years are just so full of, of energy and excitement, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, anything's possible when you're a teenager. You know, it's just a, a time of growth and expansion and commitment and all kinds of stuff. And it, it just seems like the most exciting time to me to to live. So why not, you know, write about it and put people in your young people in different situations and see how they come out. Okay, so so you wrote all those pieces and you wrote the NaNoWriMo um, novels as well. And uh, what kept you from sharing it with the world? Because I presume that my manuscripts were with you, just uh, you didn't do anything with those, right? Well, the one I just released um, last week was NaNoWriMo 2011. Mm-hmm. So... The first one I tried rewriting recently, oh, a couple of years ago, and it's just so poorly written, I had to start over, and uh, I just got bogged down, and it wasn't as exciting as it was before. The second year, I got 65,000 words, but it was nowhere near done, and I just realized I needed to know more about science to complete that one. Mm-hmm. And the, the third year um, was when I really wrote something that I thought I could really work with, and and that that year i wrote will be the the novel coming out in february okay so I'm, i see I'm going going back and picking up the things that that i wrote and refining and fine tuning them because they just were not ready for you know human consumption they were just mm-hmm. poorly written and every time i'd come back to something i would apply to it what i'd learned And that's why I put The Price of Friendship out because I had written and rewritten that one four times after taking this class and that class and I learned where I'd done something wrong and how to do it better. And I, I had rewritten that one so many times I thought, you know what, I'm just going to produce it now because mm-hmm. this is where it's going to be. And you know, someday if I'm rich and famous and they want something else for me to do, I'll go back and I'll rewrite that one. In fact, I have a goal to write the third portion of that in probably in spring of 2015. Just so that I have that complete, I'll I'll podcast it, and then if if it does anything, I'll just rewrite it. Okay, so can I phrase it that, like uh, that? You were ready to put it out once you decided uh, that it was good enough to put out. The first one, yeah. Um, after that, I, I wrote my the the second one. I tried to publish. I actually uh, pitched it to agents and submitted it to a couple publishers. It's uh, Shooting Stars, which is going to come out in December. It's a teenage vampire love story from a boy's perspective. Uh-huh. And I, I workshopped it, and I, I worked on it, and I thought it was pretty good. And I wanted I wanted a publisher, if they were going to accept it, to have their editor go mm-hmm. through it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it got rejected twice. And, and as it was getting rejected the second time, I had really come to decide that I want to go the self-publishing route. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, it just makes sense to me that if I can maintain control of my own work, I can control the price, start my, uh, you know, what do you call it, the platform, start my platform small and build off of it. Mm-hmm. I can build it at my pace. And in 10 years time, which is the goal that I'm looking at retirement, I'm an old guy, I'm 54. So I'm hoping to retire. Well, it's not that uh, old. <laughs> <laughs> not that old. But, um, I'm getting more tired as it goes, but. My son will be 20 and he has autism. And so I will need to spend more time in his care. He won't have a, 
you know, school program to go to mm-hmm. in 10 years' time. So I hope to be able to just knock off the, you know, full-time job and be able to have a little more flexibility and continue writing, but also take care, more care of him. Okay, so, so you have a full-time job and you have a family and you have a son who needs more attention than in, in general. So how do you manage to find time for writing? Yeah, it's actually getting harder. You know, two or three years ago, it was a whole lot easier. Since that time, my wife's become fairly well disabled. So, yeah, it's a real sob story. Um, I'm looking for pity. But, um, uh, um, in fact, three years ago, I had an adult daughter that lived in town. And if I wanted to just sequester myself, I could I could have her watch the younger kids and help out my wife and that type of thing. And, and I could get the writing done. But right now, I usually get up just before 5 o'clock to get my son on the bus by seven and my I have an old, a daughter who's 12 and I need to get her to school and then to work so I have about now as it turns out I have about an hour in the morning if I get up at 4 30 I wow. can get about an hour's worth of writing in before I go to work and once I get to work I can usually squeeze in another half an hour um usually go you know 10 minutes into the work day but no one's there watching me at that point mm-hmm. and uh, so I can usually get a, an hour, a little hour and a half in the morning, and then lunchtime. I'm usually pretty focused on on what I need to write. Back in the beginning, excuse me, back in the beginning, I was more of a, a organic writer and just let things go wherever they wanted and hammered out as many words as it took. But now, I after these last couple of nanoramas, I've I've gotten to where I really outline quite specifically. Mm-hmm. And I've started outlining for NaNoWriMo next month, and I've already got like a thousand words into the outline, and that's probably just the first couple of chapters. So I'll know exactly what I need to write when I sit down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I take my lunch. I don't don't leave for lunch anymore, and I can usually get a, a thousand words out in an hour. So, and then in the evening when I get home during NaNoWriMo, I'll I'll sacrifice other people's time. You know, uh, I'll get uh, I'll spend more time writing than normally. Mm-hmm. And I'll probably get, you know, 2,000, 2,500 words a day. Last year, I had 100,000 words by the 29th, no, the 28th of November. Wow. Yeah. That, that's impressive because, it, I mean, many people who are even, uh, you know, professional writers, mm, not always they put themselves under such pressure because NaNoWriMo is kind of, you know, a, a sprint kind of thing. And yeah. you, you get to write in a very short uh, time frame, quite a big volume relatively if you if you compare it with, with the number of days. Right. So, uh, and not always you i mean you you get the the time and the mood to do that so it's 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 um, a bit of stressful um thing to do but I, i've done nanorimo for two years as well and uh what it helps me is uh it's it's a very good accountability tool for me because oh, yeah. um i mean very often i i end up doing several projects parallel to each other and not i don't mean writing projects i have different things we and writing included so i end up sometimes you know dedicating more time to one of the projects and and then the writing suffers at that stage. And during right. NaNoWriMo, like, you know, whether you want it or not, the writing becomes priority. And pe- right. people around you kind of, you know, get used to that fact also, right? You know, they know that November is the month that they will see you least yeah. <laughs> somehow. And they usually know to ask, so what's your word count, you know, and how are you doing? And 
Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, so so during November, I mean, while doing NaNoWriMo, we become a very concentrated writers. <laughs> and we get all these, you know, the different things which, which are specific to writers. They, they are illustrated much, much more <laughs> during those times. Yeah. Yeah, so what about while writing uh, a novel, uh, what are the biggest challenges for you? What, what do you come across that you have to overcome? My biggest challenge is just I'm impatient. And I, I would rather write something to get to the point where I'll say, oh, this was what I wanted to say. And, you know, skip over it, making it really good. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? You know, I'm, I'm in yeah. such a hurry to get done. To, so, to look back on it and enjoy the story that I've written. I find writing a story is almost 10 times more enjoyable to me than reading one. You know, and I, uh-huh. I, I used to read all the time. And now since I write, I'm, I had to cut that way back because I'm spending my spare time writing. Although at work, I do listen to audiobooks um, mm-hmm. while I'm working and I listen to podcasts and all kinds of stuff because I, I can – I, I make stuff with my hands for part, much of my day, so I can just put my headphones on and stick to myself. Um, so, what are you doing at work exactly? I'm a I'm a certified orthotist. Uh huh. Oh, okay. I make orthopedic braces. Yeah. So I make leg braces, back braces, lots of arch supports. I got trained in the army, and uh, I had stuck with it. You know, just uh, I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. I've got a, a a good job that I enjoy. So which which is a very you know fortunate thing actually yeah. because not not many have this opportunity to to I mean I know many people who feel extremely unhappy going to work but right. they they have to so it's 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 a big pressure they are going through every single day so yeah. th- that part is is very fortunate for you <laughs> yes yeah i feel very blessed yeah, and and what's uh, let's go to the opposite. What do you enjoy most during the process of writing? Oh, just um, living the lives of my characters. You know, um, just finding out what what they are and what makes them tick, and then enjoying the the spontaneous things that come that come from or not from the outline, but between the outline. You know, you outline mm-hmm. things for them to do, and they still, you know, end up doing other things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it's important to keep on track with your outline but there's so much spontaneous stuff that does happen mm-hmm. and uh, oh i can use this or oh this makes sense i've already mentioned that and that works out together well so i think that's what it is the uh, you know uh ya stories are about relationships and um i just enjoy that uh, developing a relationship with my characters and watching the relationships that they build with each other and um, fall in love and fall out of love and have fights and, and do all that kind of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And is, is what you write a pure fiction or you use some uh, real life experiences as well? Um, it's pretty pure fiction. Um, my first NaNoWriMo, the, the kid was uh, worked in a shoe repair shop. So he used a lot of the things that I knew, you know, how to work mm-hmm. on shoes and repair shoes and build shoes. And, but um, generally, you know, um, I, I use running in it a lot. I'm, I have been a runner for a long time and enjoyed that in my, you know, high school and junior high school years. And so there's often that in it. But it's um, I, I've had a very boring life, honestly. You know, I don't have any phenomenal 
insights to share from my own youth, other than being, you know, picked on by bullies and uh, being fairly shy. I'm still fairly shy. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess I use that. Often my characters are are overcoming their shyness or their feeling of uh, social insecurity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. So let's cover a bit your first book launch. So okay. you had the book, uh, you went through it several, several times. You ended up with a text which you were comfortable with to share with the world. And what did you do next? I mean, what made you think that you should self-publish? And how did you find out what to do, which should be your action steps? Yeah, um, I, I took this story Flypaper Boy coming of age. I took it to uh, the LDS Story Story Makers Conference last. I think it was April. Yeah, it was in April. And I I went to a, we had a, a publication pr- primer. So we went through each other's books and talked about you know what we liked and disliked about them. And I, I pitched it to an agent there who was very disinterested, other than he thought it should be a graphic novel instead of a novel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's 95,000 words. Actually, it was like 99,500 words when I had it there, and they recommended that I shorten it. And I brought it down to about 94,000. But I met um, a couple women there who were editors, and um, I sent it off to one of one of them to have it you know, edited by her. And she went through it and did a real good job of picking out my weaknesses and filling in some plot holes and uh, pointing out some of my, I don't know, grammar or punctuation errors and really worked worked through it. And I, I paid through the nose for it because I really wanted it to be clean. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. But when I, um, when I was there, I listened to uh, one session. It was actually a double session on self-publication. And, um, you know, they, they brought up names of different authors who uh, publish traditionally and self-published books and they they showed the numbers how many books they sell this way and what their um, take-home pay is from that and how many books they sell this other way and mm-hmm. it just it just doesn't make sense to me to be in the position I am I'm I'm nobody I'm not Dave Farland I'm not Brandon Sanderson I'm not going to walk in and get a, a million dollar contract to, to write a book you know, I'm going to start out slow and like I sell a few books now, maybe a few books later. But if, if I want to make anything from it, I need to, to build it up and get the best return from it that I can. Mm-hmm. And it was obvious that self-publication was the way to go. And, um, you know, they I got a, a lot of information from that workshop, but I, I'm a big podcast listener. So I, I listened to your podcast and I listened to what's the, uh, the self-publishing podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um got got all my ideas and threw them all in a hat together and uh, you know the only podcast i still listen to on a regular basis is yours because oh, thank you you have, <laughs> you have someone different each time with something different to say and you have interviews and about all kinds of stuff but some others i won't na- name them because i don't want to make any enemies but it's the same thing every week you know uh-huh. talking about what they're doing and how they're doing it and I, I can't see any growth from that. But, um, you know, we, we had the, the talk one evening about um, public, publishing and I used I recorded that so I could go back through and listen to it a couple of times and set up, set up my plan of what I wanted to do and how I wanted to release it and set my price points and, and went, with, went from there. 
Well, I'm so happy that our conversation helped because uh, yeah. <laughs> it was, I mean, I, I truly wished success and I truly wanted you to, to have it out and to try and see what will happen next because I, I, I believe that many people waste so much time and so many good books uh, by not sharing it with the world. So I'm a true believer of putting it out there and uh, giving yourself the opportunity to to succeed in the future and to gain new readers because uh, you know if it's if it's left in your computer or in your drawer or in your mind even because many don't even write it down uh, it, it's a huge waste it's just you know uh, it's it's a very regretful thing to do so I really yeah. wanted you to have it out and to to experience the the feeling of having people read it of having even uh, un- people you don't know read it and getting the feedback and reviews which is uh, quite a rewarding thing to have <laughs> sure you know i i've felt for a long time that I, the the guy i listened to years ago was stephen r covey's seven habits of a highly successful people yeah and one thing he said you have to do is cultivate a um an abundance mentality you mm-hmm. know when you have a limited when you have the 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 mentality that there's only a limited amount of success, a limited amount of, of prestige, of awareness, then you're, you're grasping and um, you have the wrong attitude. You have to consider there's a, a, a limitless amount mm-hmm. of possibilities. And, and with writing, that's truly the way it is. Everybody has a market that they can and a, a niche that they can fill. My writing will never be as good as Brandon Sanderson's, you know, or David Farland's. Well, but, you never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, give me 15 years. <laughs> maybe. But um and but if it's not, that's okay because there are people that are going to enjoy my book. And once I find the people that enjoy my type of story, they'll come back for more. And as long as I can continue to provide them with the stories that they like to hear and, you know, with my characters who I like, then I will have a successful ongoing, you know, passive income. Plus, I'll be able to enjoy my retirement. I mean, what do I want to do when I retire in 10 years? I want to visit my daughter and see my grandkids and I want to travel. I want to go to, you know, World Con and World Fantasy Conventions and, and, I can, and if I can develop the kind of passive income and at the same time continue to grow my business in writing, then I think that's a, that's a win in, in both ways. Yeah. But you'd mentioned what had, what had I done, what had I done to build up to the, the launch. Yeah, you can go through, uh, you know, what you, you concluded after our conversation and which were the action steps you took, actually. Yeah. You know, I, I missed the part about I should launch it at 99 cents. And, you know, and I look back on it and I don't know if I would have changed that or not. Listening to the self-publishing podcast, they, they had uh, two different weeks. They had a question from listeners, almost the same. You know, this is my first book. It's not part of a series. Do I launch it at, nine, at 99 cents? Or do I give it away for free or do I charge two ninety nine? And they were really up in the air about really which way you should do. You could really, it was like, well... You can choose. You can you know? do both, yeah. <laughs> or so, um, yeah, and I, I realized afterwards, two ninety nine is what I charged for ninety five thousand words. Now, listening to a couple of your interviews over the past couple of weeks, they're writing, they're selling books for two ninety nine that they discount to ninety nine cents, and they're like twenty thousand, twenty five thousand words. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I feel like I wrote 95,000 words and I paid uh, nearly $1,000 between editors and paying my uh, cover artist and all the other various things you have to pay. Mm-hmm. I just I just really feel like I don't want to discount my books initially. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, you know, so what I did was I, I started a, a Goodreads giveaway. I said I'd give away five books and maybe it was a mistake, maybe it wasn't, but I said I would send to Great Britain, South Africa, Austra- Australia, and Canada mm-hmm. and the United States. And uh, boy, it's expensive to send a book <laughs> to <laughs> Great Britain. It cost like $25 to send the book to Great Britain. Even Canada was like $13. So I don't know if I'd do that again. But Did you use the hard, I mean, you had the hard copies with you and you were shipping them from, from, from your part, I mean, through the postal? Yeah. Yeah, I, okay, I, because I think the cheaper version. Well, I mean, I'm from Armenia. I'm I'm living in Armenia, and for example, getting my copies from Create Space. First of all, it takes at least three to four weeks, which right. is quite long, and second, it's very expensive. So what I did with my giveaways, I ordered on Creative Space, and the delivery address, I I I put the address of the people who won the giveaway. Oh yeah, and that that was much cheaper for me. Yeah, see, I didn't think of that. Yeah, because it said that sense. I needed to have the books available to ship at the end of the at, at the end of the contest, and I was thinking, okay, I have to have them in uh, my no. hands. No, no, I mean you I can order it, and it goes straight to them, and that's that's a cheaper option. At, at least for me, it was, and and I gained time because otherwise I had to wait for at least three weeks to get the books over here, and then you know posting from here would take at least two weeks, so the the person yeah. who won the giveaway could receive it, and like that, it was first uh, you know much faster and uh, and cheaper at the same time. So yeah. um, so I. I would do, it worked. It worked well. So you can do it next time. I, I guess. would do that with international. I think. Yeah. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I have family in South Africa. That's why I considered sending. You know, I want them to feel involved or available too. But um, you know, I I'm a little bit. Um, I'm up sorry. In the air. Uh, I'm sorry. How many people added your book during the giveaway? Yeah, I, I was just going to say that. Ah, sorry. Um, <laughs> we're five hundred and fifteen or five hundred and twenty that requested the book and I, I ran the I ran it for just over a week from like two days before the launch to the Sunday after the launch mm-hmm. and um, 215 added me to their to read list mm-hmm. which I, I at first I thought that's wonderful you know but I, I, I signed up for a giveaway myself that ended a couple of days ago just to see how it worked mm-hmm. and and they've never said anything to me that I've lost, that I didn't win. Mm-hmm. You know, I would think that they should send an email or e- even a Goodreads email on the site that says, um, thank you for entering this contest. Unfortunately, you didn't win. Mm-hmm. Remember, you signed up for this book. You know, and then they'd say, oh, yeah, I do want that one. I'll go buy it now. But no, they they just completely get to forget yeah. that they ever signed up for That's this. That's true. This Away. That's true. So yeah. I, I, I posted some nasty comments on Twitter to see if I could get their attention. But now I'm going to find out who I need to talk to to say they need to overhaul this one. Because there's no sense of me giving five away and generating this interest if if it's all just going to get swept under the chair. Yeah, well, know? actually what it gives, I mean, I didn't have results in terms of uh, 
effect on sales, let's say. Right. Uh, but we we just have to take into account that actually when these people add it to their to, to read list, for example, uh-huh. uh, since uh, many, many people by default add, uh, I mean, link um, their Facebook account or Twitter account with the Goodreads, uh, what it does is it goes viral. So their friends on Facebook see that this book was added to their to-do re- to read oh, list. Okay. So what it does is uh, these giveaways are better um, in terms of getting visibility and having uh, people who otherwise wouldn't see your book cover or book title see okay. that and and you know get exposed to to the book rather than increase sales because the sales uh, results I don't think that it directly affects the increases sales Right. But in the respect of visibility, it helps a lot. And in terms of how many books to give away, it's tricky also because, I mean, I did it with just one once uh-huh. and I've got the same results uh, like when I did it with three. So basically, um, you know, the number of books you're giving away doesn't make a really big uh, difference, actually. I-, I found that people joined up, people signed up for it on the weekends. Throughout the week, hardly anything happened. But uh-huh. I'll, I'll tell you, each time on Saturday, I probably got 80% of the people signing up for my book on, on Saturday or, or the weekend. So I think if you want to be strategic about it, you start it on a Thursday and end it on a Monday. That uh-huh. way you've got two, you know, two full weekends in there to, to get, I would say, the bulk of your people signing up. But that's just, that's a theory. I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> okay, so you did the giveaway. What else did you do? Yeah. Um, I've, I'm, I'm giving away a Kindle Voyager um, to, someone, to one, one of the people who writes a review of my book on Amazon. Wow, that, that's a generous giveaway. <laughs> it is. It's gigantic, you know, but, but I really want those um, reviews. I think the reviews are more important to me at this point than... Probably anything else. Yeah, um, agree. I, I have a friend who's much more successful at writing than I am, and he's having a book launch at least in our neighborhood next week. And uh, he's giving away a Kindle Fire, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh boy, you know, if I wanted a Kindle Fire, I'd go buy one. You know, they're like ninety bucks. It's not a lot, but I thought people would really just get excited about this Kindle Voyager, and you know, I've got three reviews so far. I, I promise that you get three entries mm-hmm. if you get a review in in the first week. Mm-hmm. And I got these three people in. So I, I stretched it out. I talked to well, my tap dancing teacher. She says, you know, I'm, I'm halfway through your book, but it's, I'm going to run out of time before the, the weekend is up. And I said, okay, I'm extending it a week. Yeah, so, it, it, that's exactly what I wanted to tell. Your book is quite large and people, right. you know, most of the people just like you have full-time jobs and do other things aside. So it's it's difficult. I mean, they need to, first of all, uh, find out about the book. Second, they should get it and then they should read it, which takes a bit of time. So, you know, yeah. stretching the, the time frame is is very wise thing to do. I mean, it's not a nonfiction book, which is 20,000 or 15,000 right. words, which you can read in a day or two so yeah, yeah that's so people have until october 31st oh, okay to, to yeah. get a review and they'll get they'll get one entry but if they get a, a review in before what is it the 12th of october now 
they'll get three entries. So I'm trying to get these uh, mm-hmm. people going up front, you know, and um and the people I've talked to that have read the book, you know, I, I my cover artist today sent me a, a direct message from Twitter. He says, I just finished your book and it was great. And I thought, well, good. Someone liked my book. And it, I was really shocked. You know, and maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm trying to sound humble. Maybe I'm I'm just not confident of myself. But I was excited to hear that he really liked it. And like I say, my tap dancing teacher, she says, this is great. And she's halfway through it. And you should be proud of yourself because, first of all, many, many people have books in their mind and would love to write a book but some of them never start many of them just quit in somewhere in the middle and never finish and some finish it but never share it with the world so you already accomplished a lot by having it out there and and as you said every book has its reader and there will always be people who will like the book which has been written so you know there's there's nothing sharp in there you should just you know you've done the big deal now you can just go back relax and enjoy the the good feedback you're getting (laughs) yeah you know i i put it on kdb kdp select Uh so i've got it on there for 90 days Mm -hmm. and so that'll be like through the end of december and uh, i plan on releasing my my next book which is the the teenage vampire love story, um, probably around the 10th of December. So my plan right now is about three weeks before that, I'm going to drop the price of of this one to 99 cents. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping to have enough reviews lined up that, you know, it'll get promoted. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully a little bit more by, you know, by Amazon. And um, see if I can rack up a little more interest with the knowledge also that this next book is coming out in December. So that's my plan. Okay. And so are you happy so far with the results of your book launch? You know, I was a little disappointed knowing that I hadn't sold thousands of them. But um, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a dreamer. I'm a writer. That's what we do. We make <laughs> things up and then expect them to come true. But um, yeah, I'm really happy with it. You know, I'm uh, holding the book in my hand. I got to sign my first two copies on Monday night. Like I say, I've, I've been tap dancing. This is my 20th year of, of tap dance. And um, I went into the studio and, and the, the woman who owns the studio said, you got to sign my book when you come back out. <laughs> and then my own you know, dance instructor says, you got to sign my book before you leave. And so I got to sign them and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm amazed. I mean, you're doing so many things. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just amazed about the way you're managing your time. It's just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably there's a fine line between you know bravery and, and insanity and um, <laughs> i don't know where i spend most of my time but i i've got i've got a great family i you know you say have i used my life in any of my stories well i've, I've written a couple of stories about you know including a, ch- a child with autism so uh-huh. there is that and um my book coming out in february is going to be a, a lot darker it's going to be again young adult but it's on a the galactic battle base out in the middle of the galaxy and There'll be teenagers with, that have issues. You know, my, my mm-hmm. older daughter, um, her birth mother was schizophrenic and using heroin during the pregnancy. Um, so she has her issues. And well, and you say you had a boring life. Come on. I mean, your, your life has been extraordinary, at least. Yeah, I, I've, I've done some things. Army, being in the Army for five years was good. It was during peacetime. And, yeah, I've been to South Africa, so... 
Yeah, I've been around a bit, but um, I plan on using um, psychology in that last in that next one coming out in February. You know, uh, the girl's going to have a, a self self abuse problem, and her boyfriend is the the victim of childhood sexual abuse. You know, which are both serious problems to me that uh, concerns to me. The teenage suicide and teenage um, self cutting and that type of thing. I'm concerned about that. I can see my own daughter that has issues from her, you know, inherited from her birth mother that could cause her to do the same type of thing or be um, schizophrenic and, and homeless living on the street when she's 19, 20 years old. So mm-hmm. I plan to use those things in, in my stories. Well, I'm, I'm sure you have plenty of stories still to write <laughs> and share. I mean, uh, and, and the way you're organizing things, I'm absolutely sure that you'll, you'll eventually get where you want to be because not many are so hardworking and so organized and, and so determined to, to move forward. So, first of all, thank you very much for coming over and sharing thank this you. listener interview. Thanks a lot for listening to my podcast, which, you, <laughs> which I really appreciate. And uh, I wish you lots of success with, with this first book and with all the upcoming books as well. Thank you. Thanks. And thanks for your podcast. Well, that was your today's dose of encouragement and inspiration from Philip. If you also would like to have your book out there and share it with the world, but have some questions or don't know where to start and would like me to help you out, please check the website www.annialexander.com slash get help and you will have detailed explanation of how I can help you. I will be uh, happy to help you out. I will be happy to work with you uh, to come up with action plan, with strategy, with making your book successful. I've been in your shoes just a few years ago and I've made many mistakes. I tried different things. I corrected the mistakes. I came up with things that work and uh, I will be able to save lots of your time by concentrating your time and effort on the things that already are tested and work quite well. Well, that's it. And I will be meeting you on Thursday. And meanwhile, just, you know, follow my example and do what I will be doing right now. And that is writing. Take care and have a nice day. <laughs>